in part one of this series, we got really nerdy looking at what the Bible really says about hell. And in this episode, we're going to be just as nerdy, because if you haven't figured it out by now, that is just what I do. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. Before we start, I want to thank my supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you'd like to join them in supporting Onward in the Faith every month, you can check the link down in the show notes or just stick around till the end of the episode. Now, before jumping in, my audio might sound slightly different from the previous episode. I actually recorded the last episode about five minutes ago, but then got kicked out of my bedroom. So I'm in my living room recording on a slightly different microphone. So if things are sounding a little bit different, that's why. But the show must go on, and so go on it shall. Now, to recap what we talked about last time, I shared with you that I was working on a series on the various views of hell, universalism, annihilationism, and eternal conscious torment, which can be better understood as the more traditional view of hell. And in my studies, I started running into this wall where one person who believes in the traditional view of hell would be talking about hell in one way and using certain verses. But then another person who also believes in the traditional view of hell would be talking about hell as a totally different place, using very different verses. And so as I started digging deeper and trying to understand hell for myself so that I can make sure that I am accurately and biblically talking about it, I started realizing that really one of the biggest reasons that I think a lot of people are confused on hell is that we really don't know when hell happens or where it is or what it is in the Bible. And I realized that the reason we know we we don't really understand it is that I started asking two questions. Do the unsaved go to hell when they die? And do the unsaved spend eternity in hell? And biblically, the more I studied, the more I realized that even though we talk about hell that way, as if you die without Christ, you go to hell and you burn there forever. Even though we talk that way, the Bible doesn't actually support that. We cannot say yes to both of those questions. Either the unsaved go to hell when they die and they're there right now, or they spend eternity in hell. And it was made even more confusing because the word hell isn't actually in the original languages. The original languages have four different terms that English translators have translated into hell that has really added to our confusion. We looked at the word sheol, which is the Hebrew word for the grave and how older translations have translated into hell. We looked at Hades, which is probably the more common word that is translated into hell in the Bible. And Hades is basically the same as Sheol, which is just where the dead go when they die. And we talked about how Hades has essentially two compartments in it. It has the unpleasant part where the unsaved go, and it has uh, what's called Abraham's side, which is currently empty because that is where the Old Testament saints went when they died before Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for their sins so that they could be in the presence of God in heaven. But since we live in a post-Christ sacrifice age, that place that used to have people like Abraham and David is now completely empty. 
we looked at the word Tartarus, which occurs once and is hinted at as well in Jude. Uh, but that is the place that seems to be just where rebellious spirit beings from Genesis were placed and are currently chained up. And then we looked at Gehenna, and I said that Gehenna is the word that I believe contributes most to our confusion about hell, because Gehenna is a completely separate thing. It's a completely separate uh, situation or instance from Sheol, Hades, or even Tartarus, because Gehenna seems to be what Christ is talking about when people are resurrected out of hell into their physical bodies and they stand before God as physical and spiritual beings to then be judged as to whether or not they broke God's law and whether or not their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is the the receipt, if you will, of Christ having paid what they owe, having already suffered God's wrath, and therefore there being none left. And then for those whose names are not in the Book of Life, who have not had God's wrath satisfied, they are then thrown into the lake of fire, which, as I argued, is what Christ is talking about when he uses the word Gehenna in the original Greek. And so that is essentially what we covered last time, is how even though Bible translators in our Bibles, when we read it and we see the word hell, we, we naturally, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, assume that, oh, well, when Jesus says hell or when John talks about hell, obviously these are the same places because it's the same word. But as we saw, and especially if you followed the links that I put in the show notes last time, you saw that there are indeed four words translated into hell, but the actual word hell is never actually in the Old or New Testament. And so when Sheol and Hades and Tartarus and Gehenna are all used as the same word, it's no wonder that we are so very confused about what hell really is and whether people either are there now or are sent there as judgment for breaking God's law. And so we're going to finish up this discussion now where we're going to really get a better definition of what hell is or isn't. And you may be thinking, well, why even use the word hell? Why not just say the words that are in the Bible? And hey, I agree with you, but the Christian culture is what it is. So rather than just trying to fight against it and be you know, a really smart person who goes around shoving his glasses up and nose and saying, um, well, you know, actually the Bible doesn't say hell. Instead of being that person, what I instead want to do is to clarify my own language and help you clarify not only your own language, but your own understanding of what happens in the afterlife. So that when you talk about hell, you either talk about hell as a place where people are now, or you talk about hell as a place where people are sentenced after their resurrection. And I'll just start this off by saying, I don't really care which one you use. I personally use hell as where people are now. When you die, you go to hell, but you do not spend eternity in hell. You spend eternity in the lake of fire. And those are two very separate things as we will discuss in this episode. And I personally think there is more value in talking about it that way just because so much of the cultural awareness of what hell is, in other words, how people think about hell, even if they're not Bible students, even if they're not Christians, people have this idea that when you die, you go to hell. 
Now, they have obviously a very twisted view of hell because hell is also conflated with the lake of fire. And so they picture hell where people are now as this lake of burning fire and this suffering and this torment and this judgment. And they are obviously two separate things. But again, as I said, for my purposes, I will still use hell because it's just easier than having to try to explain Hades. But I use hell as where people are now. And it is not a place of judgment, but it is a place of suffering. And if that's confusing, stick around. I will hopefully be able to explain that better to you. Now, let's jump into the meat of this episode where we are just going to define hell or the afterlife or just really what's coming next and how we can better understand Hades versus Gehenna. That's ultimately what we're talking about. So if you've been around, let's say, more traditional or conservative Christianity long enough, you're going to hear, whether in children's Sunday school, rather from the pulpit, someone saying, if you die without Jesus Christ, you go straight to hell and you will burn there forever. That is just, like I said, the, the commonly understood thing. And so far, we've already poked holes in why that's just not true. Because the more accurate thing to say would be, if you die without Christ, you'll go to Hades until God resurrects you and then sentences you to an eternity in a lake of fire. But that doesn't roll off the tongue very well, despite being biblically accurate. And as I said at the end of the last episode, even though the Bible writers never use the word hell, that doesn't change anything from the fact that the concept of our understanding of hell is still there. Again, not the thing where we squish two things together, but the the Bible is clear that there is a place that people go when they die, and there is a certain unpleasantness to it. There is also a place that people will go when they are resurrected and judged according to their law-breaking and not having their names in the Lamb's Book of Life, proving that Christ has paid the penalty for their sin. And that is the place that we tend to picture as hell with the fire and the suffering and the torment. But again, these are two very separate things. And even though, really, neither one of them is technically hell, because again, hell's not a word in the, the original languages, they are still factual realities. They are things that the Bible does talk clearly about. And so if we, as Christians, are going to understand the entirety of God's plan and his nature and what he does, if we're going to understand the truth about what humanity is and what is waiting for us or what we are being spared from, and if we're going to talk to other people about what is waiting for them, then we don't want to just rely on good marketing tactics or scaring people into heaven. Instead, if we love God's truth, then we want to make sure that when we're talking about things like what happens when you die in your sin, that we are being accurate to what God has revealed, not what our favorite Sunday morning preacher has revealed. And so, quick recap for the journey of the unsaved, because again, that does matter. They die. They go to what I called the waiting room, the place where they kind of hang out, where their soul goes until God's judgment. They're then resurrected. They stand before God as judge, and then they are sent to their final sentencing. So the waiting room, the final sentencing, those are the two places that we're talking about. Those are the two places that we confuse about which one is or isn't hell. So let's just talk about them. 
And again, I will be using Hell to talk about Hades, the current waiting room, the place where people are now. If you want to use Hell to talk about the Lake of Fire, that is fine. Just make sure that you are clear with your language so that I know what you're talking about and other people know what you're talking about. But what is this waiting room that I keep talking about? And why do I call it a waiting room? And why do I say that it's not a place of judgment? It's not a place where people are sentenced to suffer as a penalty and a punishment for their sins. Well, as we're going to talk about hell or Hades is not a great place. If, if the Bible is to be taken literally and what God's word reveals about it is true, then it's not just this darkness. It's not this nothingness. There is actually suffering. There is actually some kind of pain that the, the spiritual aspect of a person is undergoing. But I'm going to argue that it is nothing compared to what comes after that when they are facing God's judgment because hell is not the final destination. Hell is not designed to punish someone. And I say that because punishment is done as a response to someone's law-breaking. In other words, you can't send someone to be punished without first proving that they've done something wrong to deserve that punishment. God cannot pour out his wrath on someone without first judging that they are worthy of that wrath. And so where people are now is not the place that they are sent because God is is punishing them or burning out their sin or anything like that. God had to put them somewhere until they could be resurrected and stand for judgment and then truly face their sentencing for what they've done. So allow me to try to prove to you why I'm saying all that, even though it sounds completely contradictory to perhaps what you have heard for even decades of your life. So first, what is hell? And again, this, this should be the last time I say this. When I talk about hell, I am talking about Hades. I'm talking about a temporary place where people are right now. First of all, hell wasn't actually designed to hold sinful human beings. So if we look at 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 1.6, we can see really who the key residents are of hell. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And then in Jude, it says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, both of these places are talking about Tartarus. And as I said in last episode, Tartarus is most likely a small compartment or a separate area from where the unsaved currently reside. But it does seem that this whole area of of hell, this whole concept, was basically meant to hold spiritual beings who could not be present with God in heaven. Because as you recall from creation, God created everything and everything was good. That means that God did not create hell on creation, is what I would argue. Instead, God created it as a response to something else. Most likely, what I would argue is that hell was created to hold those spiritual beings who could no longer be in God's presence. 
As we talked about last time, the Old Testament saints, for example, who died, even though they are in heaven now, they didn't die and immediately go to heaven because their sin had not been paid for and sin cannot be in the presence of God. So just as Abraham and Moses couldn't be before God until Christ had paid for their sins, so too these rebellious rebellious angels or these rebellious uh, spiritual beings they, they had to exist somewhere. They had to go somewhere, but they could not be in God's presence. So if they were not on the earth, then God seems to have created this whole area of hell with different rooms in it to hold those spiritual creatures who cannot be with him in heaven. Now, from there, we can see in the Old Testament that there is a place that people would go when they died. So Isaiah 14, 9 through 12, or really just verse 9, says, Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you, all who were leaders of the earth. It raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. Uh, We also see in Psalm 139, verse 8, it says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Again, We see Sheol discussed is a place where people just go when they died. And this psalm even contrasts there is heaven or there is Sheol. And, you know, the psalms are poetry. And so it is doing a contrast, the the ascent to heaven, this high place where God is, or the descent into Sheol where the dead go, saying that God is present in both of them. But those are essentially the two places that spiritual creatures are going to go. And so as human beings who are both physical and spiritual, when we die and our spiritual aspect is no longer bound to our physical, it's got to go somewhere and it can't go to heaven if we are sinful. So in the Old Testament, it would go down to Sheol. And again, what's what's important here is that the Old Testament doesn't play Uh, paint Sheol as a place of suffering or torment. It's just kind of the holding container. It's where everybody goes. And again, in my uh, discussion on what Christ did in the grave, we see the two areas of Sheol. We've got what I would say is, is kind of hell proper or the place where all unrighteous people go. And then we've got Abraham's side where is now empty, but once held the Old Testament saints who are waiting for Jesus Christ. Now, we also see that hell is not just this kind of poetic idea, but instead that Sheol and Hades are places that are discussed and referred to as real, actual places with the souls of people in them. So in Genesis 37, 34, we have uh, a statement made by Jacob after his sons tell him that Joseph has been killed. And he says, all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So we see here that he is intending that, you know, he can't be comforted, but someday he's going to go to Sheol where his son currently is and he will see him. He will have a conscious awareness and encounter with his son who he is certain is dead right now. Now, New Testament, we talk, we see also Hades. Luke 16, 22 to 23, this is a small chunk of the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It says, the poor man died 
and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, before I dig a little more into this, I do need to make a point of clarity. A lot of people will say, oh, well, that's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. That's not a real story. And while I'm still on the fence about that, I do lean towards it being a parable. However, there's one important thing we need to remember about parables. Parables are never about situations that are impossible. In other words, someone loses sheep, someone loses coins, whatever. The story itself may not be true, but the story is always grounded in reality. So even if there is not a true event of a nameless rich man and a named man named Lazarus, the situation that the two men find themselves in is still grounded in reality. So what Christ is saying happened to these two is based in what happens at death for people then. So when this rich man dies, he goes to a place called Hades where he is in torment and he is able to see across from where he is Abraham with Lazarus, a righteous man at Abraham's side. So again, this is where we get that idea of these two compartments down in hell. We have hell where there is torment, where souls are right now, and this little pocket, this little side room where Abraham and the Old Testament saints were that has since been emptied with the death and resurrection of Christ. But again, regardless, understanding Bible interpretation as we do, if Christ is referring to the situation, if he is saying that these are places and that this is a situation that could happen, then again, what that proves to us is that hell, Hades, Sheol, it is a place where people go and where people are now. So it's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not this ceasing of existence and an unpleasantness. The Bible clearly talks about the afterlife as a place where people will literally go immediately upon death, where people are right now until the judgment. Now, again, as I discussed in my article, we also know that Christ himself went to the grave, went to Sheol or Hades. And this is really interesting, and it's a really interesting connection between the Old and New Testament. Uh, so Psalm 1610, David says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, this is then contrasted and quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Um, and after quoting it, saying, he, he, being David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So this, is, this gives us some really interesting insight. Number one, we see that Sheol and Hades are indeed the exact same place because while the psalm says Sheol, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the Acts passage says that Christ was not abandoned to Hades. So we know that they are the exact same place, again, just, just used differently based on either Hebrew or Greek languages. We also, again, see that it is a real place. Christ went there. He was not abandoned there. And this helps, again, reinforce this idea that it's a real place where people are now, where the rich man and Lazarus, whether a real story or just based in reality, where it happened and the things that we see there. And so this gives us just a lot of really good clarity about how Christ went to 
hell in a way, not the suffering part of hell, because he didn't go there to suffer, but was instead basically went to greet the Old Testament saints who had really been waiting thousands of years for God to send the Messiah. And here he finally was to bring them to be with God the Father. And then the last thing to see is, again, proof that people are indeed in hell right now. So this is in Revelation chapter 20, verses 13, and then the first part of 14. And again, we talked about this last week. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. So again, the insight that we had last week is that death and Hades are giving up the dead who are in them. This is a future event. So in the future... And after the events of Revelation, people are going to be in Hades and they will be removed from Hades. They will be resurrected so that they can stand before God and be judged according to what they had done. Again, clarity. This is not God being an accountant, looking at the scales and seeing if their good outweigh their bad. That is a very, I mean, really, it it finds itself back to Egypt where uh, I think it was Osiris would weigh someone's deeds along with a feather to see whether their evil deeds outweighed the weight of a feather. And if so, they were sentenced to a bad place. But no, God is not an accountant. He's not balancing the books. God is a judge. And what a judge does is he looks at someone's deeds and says, do your deeds break the law? I don't care how much time you spent volunteering. I don't care how good you were to your kids or your wife. I don't care how nice you are or how you're not as bad as someone else. Did you or did you not break the law? If yes, you will be punished accordingly to for breaking that law. And what is that sentencing? Being thrown into the lake of fire. And so when this happens, though, we're going to start digging even deeper into what is revealed here. So an important thing is that when that happens, Hades is now empty. Because again, Hades is meant for one thing. It holds spiritual creatures. But when people are resurrected, they can't go to hell. You cannot physically go to hell because hell is by all accounts, by the the context of what we see in God's word, hell is not a physical location. It is a place that only houses spiritual creatures because, again, it was designed to hold rebellious angels. And God, in a way, repurposed it to also hold rebellious human beings, or, in the case of the Old Testament saints, those human beings who had righteousness applied to them, as we see in Hebrews 11, but were not capable of standing before their holy God just yet. And now this is going to also help us clarify a couple other statements I made previously in this episode. One, there is still suffering in hell right now. The story of the rich man and Lazarus reveals that the rich man was in torment, but I do not believe that hell is a punishment for someone's sin. Someone doesn't go to hell as punishment for their sin because, again, that order of events, people die, they go to Hades, they are resurrected to be judged, then they are sentenced. In other words, if they are being punished in hell, then God is actually being unjust because he is punishing them without fully sentencing them, without them standing body and soul as a whole person, standing before the judge, having their deeds examined, held up against the 
the good and perfect law of God and God proclaiming whether they are innocent or guilty. So to send them to hell as punishment for being guilty without standing before a judge, like I said, that would be injustice. So I do not believe that hell is just this horrible place of constant agony and suffering. But it is not a good place. It's not great. It was designed to hold rebellious angels. And so when people go there, God doesn't send them there to suffer. But instead, when you go to hell, it's there's going to be suffering. Now, think about it this way. If you were to go to Arizona in the middle of July, you are going to be suffering in Arizona. Now, you're not going to Arizona to suffer, but you know that if you go to Arizona in the summer when it's like 190 degrees there, it is inevitable. You cannot escape the fact that because of where you are, you're going to suffer. And hell, I believe, is the exact same way, where people are held there. It's it's the waiting room. It's like a prisoner waiting to stand before a judge who will then sentence them to death row or declare them innocent. They are waiting there. They are currently, right now, sitting in a place designed to hold rebellious angels. And they are in torment. They are suffering, not as punishment, not as a part of God's judgment on their sin, but instead, simply because God must place them somewhere. They can either go to heaven, but they can't, so they have to go to hell. But I do not believe that it is this constant agony, torment, torture thing that a lot of people paint it as. I think it's just Arizona in the summer for them. It's unpleasant, but it is where they are. And by nature of what hell is, there is suffering happening to the unsaved who die without Jesus Christ. So that is what I believe we can know about hell or about Hades right now. There are two, maybe three aspects to it. There is kind of hell is the main area where human beings go. There is the place where the Old Testament saints were, which is now empty. And then there is possibly Tartarus, which is a separate place that has very specific angels who are being held in chains right now. We know that it is a physical place, or not a physical, but it is an actual place. It is a literal place. It's not an idea or a concept. It is a place where people really and truly go and are right now. And we also, I believe, know that this is not a judgment on people's sin, but instead that they are there in torment simply because God places, had to place them in a place that in and of itself by its very nature is not a pleasant place to be. Now, that is the first part of the journey of an unsaved person. They die and they go to hell or Hades. Now, we've discussed they will then be resurrected and they will be judged by God. And now we can talk about the place that a lot of people confuse and and link together with Hades. And that is the lake of fire, or what I'm going to argue is also Gehenna, which is poorly translated as hell. So again, to very much clarify though, why I believe these are separate and why we call it Sheol or Hades or hell, but it is not the final place for people, but instead is 
is essentially the death sentence for someone, right? It's where they go when they've stood before the judge. Let's look again at Revelation 20, verses 13 to 15. And I know we've read this before, but it is important to see this entire context and see the sequence of events in action. So, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this passage is what convinced me that I could not answer my two questions with a yes. Remember, I said, do people go to hell when they die? Are they there right now? Or do people spend eternity in hell? And this passage shows why we cannot say yes to both. Because if we are going to be consistent with that viewpoint, then what we say is that hell empties itself of people at the resurrection. God then throws hell into hell, as well as all the people declared guilty by God. So you see, the lake of fire and Hades, they cannot both be hell, because Hades is thrown into the lake of fire, and we cannot say that death and hell and the unsaved are thrown into hell. If we do, then that, I don't know, maybe creates a black hole or something. It's just, it's a, it's a logical impossibility. Instead, hell is a temporary residence. It is a holding place. It is a waiting room designed to hold spiritual creatures until God's judgment. At that point, God will throw death and Hades and the guilty, both guilty humans and guilty spiritual beings, including Satan, into the lake of fire. And this is an eternal punishment. Now, we're not going to get into what the lake of fire is. Does it burn up? Is it annihilation? Is it eternal conscious torment? That's not the point. The reality, the thing that it doesn't matter what you believe about what happens when God judges, the reality is that hell is not the lake of fire. And again, this is why I I strongly am going to argue right now that hell is not designed for suffering. It's not a punishment. It's, It's a waiting room without an air conditioning in Arizona. It's not great. You don't want to be there. Everyone there would much rather not be there. But this is not God's punishment. This is not his judgment on them. That comes in Revelation 20 when they are resurrected and stand before him. And then they are thrown into the lake of fire as their final sentencing, as a result of God's judgment against their law breaking. So now understanding that, that Revelation makes it clear that you know, hell isn't permanent. I, I, I believe that's very clear at this point. And we've also discussed how translation decisions have led to our confusion because it takes different words in the original languages and translates them as hell. You may remember that last week I said that I believe one of those translated words, the word Gehenna, I believe contributes the most to our confusion about what hell is and why we say things that are not true whenever we're talking about hell and the fate of the unsaved and what that's going to look like in the sequence of events that that uh, occur for that. And especially within this conversation, you may still be wondering, despite you know kind of all the evidence that's been laid out, you may still be wondering, yeah, but, but what about the things that Christ said? Christ talked about people going to hell and it sounds like it's an immediate thing, right? It sounds like what Christ said would happen to people is immediately where they go. 
And what I want to do now then is to look at why the things that Christ said about hell were often or were were specifically talking about the lake of fire whenever he used one particular word in the original Greek language. Because when Christ talks about hell, he is usually using the word Gehenna. And whenever he uses the word Gehenna, we may say, oh, well, does it matter? It does, because we're going to look not just at the word Gehenna itself, but instead the context of how Christ is talking about Gehenna. And the reason that we've really kind of had the conversation we've had up till now is that it is it is so critical for us to realize that the lake of fire comes after judgment. The lake of fire is a result of a person's guilt. A person's actions are held up against the law, and because of their actions breaking the law, they are then sent, thrown into, cast into, sentenced to the lake of fire. And in a lot of our modern English translations, we get so confused because the translators, for whatever reason, chose to take the word Gehenna and translate it as hell in the exact same way they took the word Hades and translated it into hell. And so we confuse the waiting room with the final sentencing. So here's what I mean. Matthew 5.22 But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. In other words, they will be liable to the Gehenna of fire. Now, what is Christ talking about here? Is he talking about those who call someone a fool, those who are angry, whoever throws insults, whoever makes fun of people online and gets into online arguments and does not accurately represent Christ? Does that mean that that person is in danger of going to Hades because of that? No, they will go to Hades, but... When Christ says they'll be liable to the hell of fire, we need to look at the language that Christ is using here. He uses two very important words, liability and judgment. Those are words of essentially being accountable for one's actions. Now, in the grand narrative of the Bible, we are accountable to our actions because we will stand before a judge, just as we see in Revelation 20. So when Christ here is saying that because of someone's actions, they are going to be sent to Gehenna, he is clearly saying that their actions are going to lead to them being sentenced to Gehenna. It is a courtroom word. It is something that happens after standing before the judge. So here, when Christ talks about Gehenna, he is clearly talking about the lake of fire that comes after judgment. Next, Matthew 23, 33. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you going to escape being sentenced to hell? Or, how are you going to escape being sentenced to Gehenna? Now, just like the previous passage, this is very clearly talking about the lake of hell. And I get that because they are sentenced to Gehenna. They stand before a judge. The judge will examine their deeds and sentence them based on his perfect justice and judgment. Now, likewise, remember, people are not sentenced to Hades. They just go there. It's a natural consequence of where they, as spiritual creatures, have to go until they stand before the judge. But they are not sentenced there. It is not a punishment. 
it is just a natural consequence of where they must go. So again, when he talks about the Pharisees being sentenced to Gehenna, he's clearly talking about them being sentenced to the lake of fire, not Hades. Now, Mark 9, 47 to 48. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Again, this whole, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Classic hell language. The, the picture that we have, this eternal burning fire, that is what we picture when we think of hell. And so when Christ talks about people being thrown into hell in the same way that people go to Hades, that is where this confusion comes from. But again, he is saying here that it's better, you don't want to be thrown into Gehenna where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So it's Gehenna with an unquenchable fire and a worm that does not die. And we'll get into that with my series on annihilationism. But... For now, understand that a person is, again, thrown into Gehenna. They are, are a person or a being is taking them and casting them into it. Now, that language may be very familiar, right? Because in Revelation uh, 20, verse 15, it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So John here is using the exact same language that Christ used, thrown into Gehenna, thrown into the lake of fire. Both of these come after the judgment. And it's after the judgment that the lake of fire has this unquenchable fire and a worm that does not die. But again, this, this, I I believe this passage just really clearly tells us why we get hell so confused because we assume that people are cast into hell and hell is this place of eternal burning fire and people are in hell right now but they're not they are two very different things that we confuse because of both tradition and how we were raised and what we may frequently hear from the pulpit or read in books and because logically when we read hell we we assume that everything referencing hell is talking about the exact same place. But again, no Bible writer ever talked about hell. Hell was a translation decision that unfortunately was a poor one, especially when it comes to Gehenna, because Gehenna is not the hell that we think of when we think of where people are now. People are in Hades and will be sent to Gehenna. People are in hell and will be sent to the lake of fire. Both of those statements are the exact same thing. Hades equals hell, Gehenna equals lake of fire. But Gehenna does not equal Hades. Gehenna does not equal hell. And now, kind of understanding the more clear passages where it's obvious that when Christ is saying Gehenna, he's talking about the lake of fire. We can now use that to look at other instances where Christ uses Gehenna. And even if it may be confusing, it starts to make a lot more sense based on the context of the more clear verses. So specifically what I want to talk about is Matthew 10, 28. It says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this is obviously, again, to be clear, 
fear though fear him who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. Obviously, we're talking about Gehenna here. Now, context clues tell us that obviously he's talking about the lake of fire. And even logically, it makes sense because the body does not go to Hades. Remember, Hades is a place to hold spiritual beings who are in rebellion against God and cannot enter heaven. But this talks about the soul and body going to Gehenna. Again, once again, very clearly, a completely separate place from where people are now. Because people have not yet been resurrected, they have not been judged, and therefore they have not been sent to the lake of fire. And so this is a very hotly debated passage, and we're not going to get into what it does or doesn't mean, but it is clear what Christ is referencing here. And this is, as a side note, why it's so important when we're translating or trying to interpret Bible verses to find the verses or passages that are very clear and use those to interpret things that may be a little more confusing. So when Christ, in our previous examples, was referring to Gehenna and very obviously meant the lake of fire, then in this passage, it may seem confusing, it may seem weird, but it's very obvious based on the pattern that Christ set in his word usage that when he says Gehenna, he clearly means the lake of fire. So we use the clear passages to help us interpret the unclear ones rather than trying to make a whole discussion and a whole belief system based on a confusing passage and then trying to apply that to the passages that are much more clear. So as a final note on Gehenna, the word itself is only used 12 times in the Bible. And some of those times are even repeats where you have different gospel writers talking about the same statement that Christ made, but from their own uh, perspective or their own take on it. But in all of them, ignoring uh, James 3, 6, when he uses it, but in all these, they're only used in the gospels. It's always Christ and it's always talking about the lake of fire. When it's confusing, when it's a little less clear maybe, we still know that he's talking about the lake of fire. And so to really start breaking all of this down, last episode and this one, you know, what do we, what do we make of this? Again, I want to be very clear that this does nothing to change the gospel or what happens to people who die without Christ. They are in a place right now, and that place is very unpleasant. They are absolutely waiting for the resurrection so that they can stand before God. And they have to. They have to be bodily and 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 spiritually there because the whole person must stand before judgment. At that point, God will judge the person according to whether or not they broke the law and then sentence them to an eternity in the lake of fire. No discussion, nothing that I've talked about now changes one iota of that. But what it does do, what I hope it's done, is to show why it is so critical to understand how to not just read our Bible and do a quick Google search, but instead to do the hard work to understand that there needs to be consistency in the Bible. And that because of what the Bible has revealed, because of what we've talked about over the last two episodes, we cannot possibly say that people are in hell right now and that people are in hell forever. Hell is not a word in the Bible. People are in Hades right now and will be in the lake of fire forever. But if we're going to use the word hell, we need to very clearly understand it ourselves 
before we're going to teach it and explain it to someone else, before we're going to tell someone what's going to happen to them. We need to make sure we, we really and truly do understand what will happen to them, what is waiting for them if they die in their sin, if they have not asked Jesus Christ to save them, to take the penalty under God's wrath and to pay the debt that they owe, to suffer the law-breaking that they have done. Without Jesus Christ, there is no hope for them after this life. But we want to make sure that we are giving them the full truth, not just the truth that they need Jesus Christ, but the full truth of what reality is for them now and in the future. But that being said, and how how a biblical understanding of hell doesn't change the doctrine of hell that people understand as it relates to the gospel, let's just uh, briefly, I think, break down everything that we've discussed over the last two episodes. First, we have the sequence of events. Death, waiting room, resurrection, judgment, final sentencing. That is clearly laid out in the Bible as to what is waiting for people. We've also talked about the word grave in both Greek, which is Hades, and Hebrew, which is Sheol. And that is simply where people go when they die. We've also talked about how hell isn't really a word in the original manuscripts, but instead is a translation decision. No Bible writer ever wrote the word hell, but we have the word hell in our translations because of the work of men and women who love God. But for whatever reason, instead of just using Hades, Tartarus, Sheol, or Gehenna, they instead made a decision to make a blanket word that spans all these words even though they're different words, but kind of turns them into a conglomeration into a single word of hell, which has led to a lot of our confusion because we, for most of us, we only understand the English. And so we are trusting that when the Bible that we are holding or reading says hell, that obviously it must be talking about the same place, which, as I pointed out, leads to that confusion of us trying to answer yes to both of those questions. Again, we've talked about how hell is a waiting room, and that is how I use the word hell. But hell is just Hades, and Hades is Sheol, and all all of these are simply portrayed as just a waiting room for souls who cannot be in the presence of God and therefore have to go somewhere. And so they go to the place made for these rebellious spiritual beings, these rebellious angels. We also know that hell is not a punishment because punishment comes after judgment, after they stand before God. But instead, hell is just a real bad place to be because it's not designed to be comfortable. It's designed to be a place where these rebellious spirits who, who willfully sin against God, where they must go because they cannot be in God's presence. We've also talked about how Gehenna is the lake of fire. So when Christ talks about hell, and the original word is Gehenna, he's clearly talking about the lake of fire, which is the final judgment. And therefore, the lake of fire is not hell, as I use the word hell. The lake of fire is not Hades. We see this in Revelation, where people are removed from hell, judged. The guilty people are thrown into hell, and then the guilty people are thrown into the lake of fire. And then hell, or Hades, is also thrown into the lake of fire. So where people are now is temporary. 
people will be there temporary and the place itself is temporary and will be destroyed in the lake of fire in the future. And then finally, as I said, hell is either right now or it's in the future. People cannot be in hell right now and spend eternity in hell. I've advocated for if we're going to use the word hell, we use it as the temporary residence of rebellious spiritual beings where they are waiting for their final sentencing, where they will stand before the judge, body and soul, and then be thrown into the lake of fire. But if you want to refer to the lake of fire as hell, again, it doesn't matter because we're just making up words anyway. But we have to be consistent. And that's really what this whole uh, two-episode series was about. The importance of consistency. Because if we are inconsistent, then we start saying things about God's word that is not true. And we make our tradition, we make our personal beliefs, we make what we're comfortable about, we make what the media portrays, We make all of this more important than what God's word is revealing. And God's word clearly reveals two distinct places that the unsaved go. They will go to Hades, they will be resurrected and stand for judgment, and then they will go to the lake of fire. But these are two very different things. And so as God's people, people who love truth, we want to make sure that we are being true to all of God's word, not just their need for Christ, but for what God's word has revealed about what is coming next. So as some closing final thoughts on top of all that, I will say that when I started studying hell months ago, and I mean, even years ago, as I've slowly, as God has kind of pieced this together, I thought hell was a simple thing. I grew up, I I heard about hell frequently. I hear about hell frequently in books and in sermons and things like that. Not that I particularly gravitate towards hellfire and brimstone preachers, but hell is a reality. God's judgment is a reality. And so I thought it would be a simple thing, but as I studied more, I realized there is a glaring inconsistency with how I understood where people are now and where they will be for eternity. And I kept trying to force hell to work as both of them, but I just realized that it doesn't. And the most illuminating thing for me was that distinction between Hades and Gehenna and how as soon as I realized that hell was never actually in the original languages but was a decision, it started making so much more sense and it started cementing in my mind and clarifying in my mind why, if we don't use the word hell, things make a lot more sense because we're either talking about Hades and Sheol, which again, same words, we're talking about Tartarus, which is, I believe, a small area that only holds certain rebellious angels or we're talking about the lake of fire and understanding that when we remove the word hell from our vocabulary which i don't think because of how how prevalent hell is and how much of an impact the kind of hellfire and brimstone preachers were back in the day and how that has had ripple effects to our to our culture today i don't think we're going to remove hell from our vocabulary But if we were to remove it, if we were only to talk about Hades and the Lake of Fire, it is very clear what God has revealed about what is waiting for the unsaved. And so this was a very thorough, probably exhausting, probably difficult and dense discussion on what those two things are as far as what God has revealed. 
And believe it or not, this is just a prelude. This is me just laying the groundwork so that in the future, when I talk about hell, I can just say, hey, if you want to know what I mean, go listen to, to this thing. So in the future, uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to start working on the different views of hell and the lake of fire. In other words, what is waiting for people at the end of everything. And if you thought this was, was dense... Those are going to be a boatload of fun. But as I wrap this series up, as I wind down my discussions, as I prepare to just go decompress and drink water and stare off into the distance with a very frazzled brain after after such a, a, a dense talk, I hope that this has done two things for you. Number one, I hope that it has encouraged you to be more careful when you read your Bible and maybe even equipped you to read it better as you are reading and realizing that just because your Bible says a particular word, that was a translation decision, that no no Bible translation is perfect, and that decisions were made by people who weren't malicious and didn't have this ulterior motive, but decisions were made that, that impact us. And the more we study our Bible, the better we can appreciate the work they've done as well as understand for ourselves the places where imperfect human beings creating an English translation of God's perfect word can have some issues, and and it's okay. And so I hope that it's equipped you to just better understand your Bible. And number two, I hope that you now have a better understanding of what happens to those who die without Jesus Christ. Because... I want you to understand your Bible. I want you to have good understanding and to to give you things that will challenge you intellectually to help you better understand how to study your Bible and also the wisdom to be careful with what traditions you allow to impact you versus what God's word reveals. And those are great things, but we also need to realize that this stuff is real. There is a Hades where people are right now, where people are going to go when they die. And they're there for a very specific purpose. And that is because one day God will resurrect them. He will give them a fair trial. He will look at their, all their deeds and not say, does your good outweigh your bad? But instead, do you have any bad that has broken my law? And if they have broken God's law, as we all have, And if they have not placed their trust in Jesus Christ, where their name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, where Christ can declare they are innocent, their debt has been paid, their crimes have been punished on me. If a person dies and has is not confident that their name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, there is something waiting for them. There is a final judgment. There is a lake of fire that is eternal and forever. There is no escape. There are no second chances. The lake of fire is God's perfect justice and judgment on sin. And so with this series, I hope that the reality of that makes even more sense because you are hearing it from God's word, not your tradition, not your assumptions, not Bugs Bunny cartoons portraying hell as this fiery place with the devil in a pitchfork, but instead seeing the reality of where our sin, when compared to God's perfection, is going to lead. So remember to check show notes 
for links to this article so you can read it and things like that. Make sure that you are not just taking my word for it. Please don't take my word for it. Check my work, compare it, study God's word for yourself, and make sure above all else that you don't let this just be an intellectual exercise or something that is really cool to hear someone break down, but instead let it be something that changes how you read the Bible and how you tell others about their need for Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ. 